want to invite everyone to turn in your Bibles this morning to Daniel chapter 1. I'm excited today as we're kicking off our first series of the summer. It's a four-week series we're called Taking a Stand. We're going to be in the Old Testament book of Daniel. It is in your Old Testament toward the second half of your Old Testament. We're going to be looking at the story of Daniel. We're going to look at four times in the life of Daniel where Daniel took a stand for God and God did incredible things in his life and how we can take a stand in our lives today and God can do incredible things and bless our life. Let me ask this question by a show of hands to begin this morning to kick off our series. How many of you would say there's been a point in your life you've ever taken a stand uh, for something you believe, for a family member, for a friend, or a stand for God? Would you raise your hand? I think most of us have been there in, in one way or another. We, we have taken a stand, and that's what we're going to be talking about in, in this series. And you know, God has some interesting uh, timing and sometimes sense of humor because um, how many of you guys own either like an Apple Watch or you have uh, one of those other Fitbit? Bits. Anybody have those? Quite a few of you do. So recently I finally broke down and they finally put the Apple Watch on sale enough because I'm really cheap. Um, so I got a really good sale at Walmart and so Shelly and I bought each other an Apple Watch. And so I, I bought her one for Mother's Day. She got me one for Father's Day. I got my gift early and so I started wearing this Apple Watch. And, in, and one of the things I love about it is it's got a whole health program and you have these rings that you have to try to fill up every day by doing enough exercise and moving. And one of the things they tell you to do is make sure you stand up once an hour. And so it lets me know if I'm sitting down for more than an hour, my watch will, will beep and it'll say, stand up, take a stand. And so I'll be sometimes right in a meeting and I'll stand up and they'll be like, oh, are we done? And I'm like, no, I just got to stand up because I'm kind of OCD. And if my watch says I got to stand, I got to stand. They're like, Okay, and so it's like I've been being reminded going into this series every day, every hour, take a stand, take a stand, take a stand, stand up. So if you really want to put this uh, series into action, go get you an Apple Watch, and it'll remind you every hour to, to take a stand. It's pretty cool. But taking a stand is so important in our lives as believers. We want to be successful Christians honoring and glorifying God because I believe this. If we take a stand for the right things in the right way and for the right reasons, it can change the course of our life. You believe that, church? It could change the course of our life, our family, our friends. But if we, instead of, of taking a stand, we blend in and we compromise the wrong things in the wrong way for the wrong reasons, it can cost us more than we can ever imagine. Because the day that we say yes to Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, you may not realize this, we enter a warfare. We enter a battlefield. We have an enemy. His name is Satan, the devil, the old serpent. And he wants to break us down. He wants to get us to blend in. We've got to be ready. Ready every day we wake up as a believer to take a stand for God because before we get up, the devil is already waiting to meet us, to oppose us. That's why before we get to Daniel, Paul said this in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor. Everybody say all. Not just most of it, not some of it. If we're going to take a stand, we got to put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to, somebody help me out, to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil that he has against us. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. That's what we're talking about in this series because our enemy, the devil, he wants to take us out. He wants to jack you up. And, and we've got to be willing to stand. He wants to wreck your life, wreck your marriage, wreck your testimony. And so in this series, we're going to watch in the life of Daniel 
how we can take a stand and stand strong against the enemy's attack. I want to kind of set the theme for this series uh, with this uh, key thought and and thrust. You have it in your notes. I hope you write this down if you're taking notes. When we take a stand for God in the present, he will stand with us in the future. When we take a stand for God in the day-to-day in the present, then he will stand with us as we need him in the future. We're going to certainly see that play out in the life of Daniel. Now, let me tell you where we're going in this series, taking a stand. Next week, we're going to watch as Daniel is going to stand up to the king and basically say to the king, hey, you're not exactly living right. You're not making the right decisions, and you need to get right with God. Now, the, the king could have taken his head off for this, but he stood up to the king. We're talking about how to stand up in the right way at the right time. The third week, we're going to talk about one of the famous stories in the Bible with Daniel, Daniel in the lion's den, as he's going to stand strong in his faith as they're going to throw him into the lion's den. What's he going to do with that? And then the last week, we're going to talk about standing in faith as God is going to have Daniel's back because Daniel has stood strong in the present. God is going to stand with him in the future. Today, we're going to talk about standing out. How do we stand out for the right things in the right way for the right reasons so that God will be honored and we will be blessed by that. So everybody, let's just say that together. Stand out. So just turn to your neighbor and say, stand out. That's what we're talking about today. We're going to watch as Daniel is going to stand out in the present and God's going to stand with him in the future. We're going to look at three ways uh, that we can stand out for God in this story. We're going to look at Daniel chapter 1 and we're going to look at most of verse 1. Three ways that we can stand out like Daniel did. The first way is this if you're taking notes. We can stand out when facing difficult trials. We can stand out for God when facing difficult trials. Let me just give you the quick context of Daniel because the three most important rules of Bible study, help me out church, are context, Context, context. This was written about 605 BC, so 600 years before Christ. Uh, Daniel and his friends were living in Jerusalem, but then there was a, an enemy that came in, the Babylonians, under the rule of King Nebuchadnezzar, uh, an evil, wicked, pagan, uh, worshiping, heathen king. They came in and they destroyed Jerusalem, they destroyed the city, they destroyed the temple, and they captured many of the people of Jerusalem. Daniel was a Hebrew, his friends were Hebrews, and they took them as prisoners and slaves in captivity a thousand miles away to Babylon. So now Daniel and many of his friends are in Babylon in captivity as these things begin to play out. Let's pick it up in Daniel chapter 1, verse 1. It says, During the third year of King Jehoiakim's reign in Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar. Now we're going to do this one time only because it'll get really annoying if we do it over and over. But I'm going to say, I'm going to read that again. When I see King Nebuchadnezzar, everybody just go, boo, because he's a real evil king. But only do it once or we'll be really annoyed after that. During the third year, year of King Jehoiakim's reign in Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar, there you go, of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and he besieged it. The Lord gave him victory over King Jehoiakim of Judah and permitted him to take some of the sacred objects from the temple of God, where they worshiped God, where they worshiped Yahweh. So Nebuchadnezzar took them back to the land of Babylonia, a thousand miles away, and placed them in the treasury house of his, notice in your Bible, little g, little God, false God, pagan God. So King Nebuchadnezzar comes in Jerusalem, destroys the temple, takes some of the objects. Other scriptures tell us he destroys some of the temple objects used to worship the great I am, Yahweh God. He basically desecrates the temple. He's trying to mock God with this. He's trying to get the Jewish people, the Hebrew people, to forget about their God. 
I want you to totally forget about that God. We're going to make you Babylonians. We're going to introduce you to all these false pagan gods. He destroys their present, and he's trying to destroy their future is what he's trying to do. Trying to wipe them out completely, the remembrance of Yahweh, Jehovah, I am God. Verse 3, what happens? Not only does he destroy the temple, but he does something else. Verse 3 says, then the king ordered Ashpenaz, his friends just called him Ash, at least I'm hoping they did. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, his chief of staff, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family. So these, these were people that were royalty as Hebrews in Jerusalem and other noble families who had been brought to Bab- Babylon as captives. Watch this. Select only strong, healthy, and good-looking young men, he said. I want you to get the best of the best, the most likely to succeed. You know, we might say today, get the tall, dark, and handsome. I probably would not have made this cut. If they were looking for short, cute, and tan, maybe. Okay? But he's like, man, get the, the, the most strapping young men. Most scholars believe these young men were probably 12 to 15 years of age when they would have taken them captive, middle school, early high school. And watch what they're going to do with these guys. They're, they're going through this, um, this incredible trial as everything is going to be turned around and changed in, in their life. It says uh, in the second part of this verse, make sure they are well-versed in every branch of learning and gifted with knowledge and good judgment and are suited to serve in the royal palace. Train these young men in the language and literature of where? Babylon. They've been Hebrews. We're changing everything. The king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchens. Now, at first, that sounds really good, man. We're going to get to eat what the king eats. But we're going to come back to that in a moment. They were to be trained for three years, okay, these these 12 to 15-year-old young men, and they would enter then the royal service. So we're going to make them servants of the king after we kind of reprogram them and indoctrinate them after three years. And he gives some of their names, and here's the star of our story. Daniel is one of them. Hananiah, Misael, and Azariah were four of the young men chosen, all from the tribe of Judah. The chief of staff, watch this, renamed them with these Babylonian names. He's, he's like, I want you to forget about everything in your past. I'm going to change your name because their old names were Hebrew names connected to the worship of God, of, of Jehovah. And he's like, I want to wipe that out. So I'm giving you good Babylonian names, heathen names that are connected to our heathen pagan gods. If you guys are with me, say yes. Yeah. Trying to change everything about them. And so here's their name changes. Daniel was called Belteshazzar. Daniel was his Hebrew name, Babylonian name, Belteshazzar. Hananiah was called Shadrach. Misael was called Meshach. And Azariah was called Abednego. And you remember that story a little bit later in this book. And so there was this intentional strategic plan to change everything about these young boys. Basically, King Nebuchadnezzar says, we're going to change the way they think. We're going to change the way they believe. And we're going to change the way they behave. We're going to indoctrinate them to change, to become part of our culture and everything that we do. And you know, really, that is a microcosm and a picture and mirrors exactly what our enemy Satan wants to do to us. Think about it. What does Satan, our enemy, want to do to us? He wants us to change the way we think, what we believe, and how we behave. 
How, how does he do this? He does it with an intentional strategic plan. He, he seduces us with lies um, and promises that are false promises and deception. He dangles these false carrots of the world out in front of us. And he says, hey, conform to the world's ways. Be like the world and everything's going to be great. But what we know is when we do that and we just blend in instead of standing out, we miss God's plan and purposes and blessings on our life. And so the same thing King Nebuchadnezzar was trying to do to Daniel and his friends, our enemy is doing to us today. It's interesting to note this. How many of y'all remember uh, recently in our history uh, King Saddam Hussein? You remember that guy? Did you know that he claimed that his hero was King Nebuchadnezzar and that he believed that he was a, pre or he was a uh, reincarnated King Nebuchadnezzar? Yeah, Interesting. And so King Nebuchadnezzar is a picture also of Satan and, and our enemy. And I, I believe with all my heart, this is what he does in a subtle way. Our enemy does to us as believers today. Now, before we accept Christ and say yes to Jesus, he doesn't worry too much about us because he already has us. But the moment that we say yes to Jesus, now it's game on. Now it's battle on. And I, I believe with all my heart what happens is our enemy he says, okay, you're a Christian. Okay, I've lost you for all eternity, but I'm going to mess you up while you're down here on earth as much as I can. And I want to try and get you to be a passive Christian. A passive Christian, a kind of a pseudo-Christian, kind of a part-time Christian. You say, well, what, what is that? Well, sometimes you talk to people today and you say, well, are, are you a Christian? Oh, well, you know, I'm not super religious. I'm not a, you know, Jesus freak or Bible thumper. But, I, I mean, I, I live in America and I'm not anything else. So, yeah, I guess I would call myself a Christian. Well, is there any evidence of your, your Christian faith? I mean, any evidence of your walk with God on a regular basis? Do you stand out in any way as a Christian? Well, I mean, we go to church at Christmas you know, we go to church at Easter. We're creasters, not keisters, creasters. There's a difference, you know? I mean, that's like saying I work out once a year and I am a specimen of, you know, physical activity, you know, because I work out once a year. That's not possible. You can't just part-time work out and, and be in good health. Or, or like saying to your wife, men, I love you, and you tell it to her on your anniversary once a year, and that's it. And you just, she knows I love her. You know, honey, I tell you once a year. If it changes, I'll let you know. And, and, and is she really going to feel loved? Or, or it's like saying, you know, you're, you're a Christian, but all you do is you put in your one hour a week at church, and that's it. Or, or I'm sorry, not one hour, really about 50 minutes, because about 30% of you are 10 minutes late every week. Ooh, oh, oh, <laughs> pastor just took a shot right there. <laughs> Watch your toes. <laughs> There's really no such thing as a part-time, sort of, kind of, pseudo-Christian that lives a successful, God-honoring Christian life. We have to stand out in some way. And we're not talking about being weirdos. We'll get to that in a minute. But we've got to do what Paul said in Ephesians, put on the full, all of the armor of God so we can stand and we can experience God's best. Here's a question we need to ask ourselves. Do we stand out for God or do we just blend in? Do we stand out in any way when people look at our lives and say, you know, I think they're, they're a believer. They believe in God. There's something different about their life, their marriage, their family, the way they conduct their business, especially when the trials of life come and, and the temptations come. You look at Daniel and his friends, and they faced incredible trials, a new home, a thousand miles away from home, a new culture, new knowledge, and new names. And not only that, but that, now they're going to be given a new diet 
He says, we're going to bring them in, these best of the best, and we're going to feed them from the king's table for three years. I mean, we're going to fatten them up. We're going to give them the best of the best. Uh, and, and at first, that sounds really good. Man, I get to eat what the king eats? I mean, you know it was like filet mignon and a nice Merlot or cab wine. You know it was. And it would have been really tempting for them to say, yeah, we'll do that. I mean, let's go ahead. And they faced this trial. But what did they do in this trial? What was the decision that they made? Number one, we can stand out when facing difficult trials. Number two, if you're taking notes, we're going to watch Daniel stand out when facing daring tests. And we can stand out when facing daring tests. What are they going to do about this food? Now, let me, let me say this to be very clear. It was not the food and wine itself that was the problem. Paul said clearly in the New Testament, there's nothing unclean of itself. It's only when we make it unclean. So what was wrong with this food and wine that king was offering? I mean, what, what made it unclean? We, we know that the Bible tells us this food and wine, in the same way that we would have a meal in front of us today, and we would pray, and we would thank our God, Jehovah God, for giving us this meal, they would thank their false pagan idol gods. The problem wasn't the food and the wine. The problem was it had been dedicated to idols, to pagans. If you get that, say, I get it. That was the problem. And to eat that food was to recognize that this didn't come from Jehovah God. This came from some false god or false idol. So what is Daniel going to do? Verse 8. Watch as, as he faced this test. But Daniel was determined, let's say it together, not to defile himself. I'm going to draw a line in the sand here. I'm going to stand out. By eating the food and wine given to them by the king, he asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. Now, now, isn't it interesting that when they changed their names, Daniel didn't fight that. Daniel didn't say, oh, no, you're not going to change my name. I, I, I don't know why for sure, but I think Daniel was probably like, listen, you can change my name. You can call me whatever you want. I know who I am. I know where my heart lies. I know who my true God is. I'm not going to defend my name. But now you're talking about defiling the name of my God? I draw the line in the sand there. You can change my name all day, but I am not going to dishonor my God by eating food that has been sacrificed and dedicated to idols. I, I'm going to draw a line in the sand there. Now, i got to be honest. If, if I were Daniel, and it wasn't just Daniel and these friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, there were probably hundreds, maybe thousands of other young men, and they were eating it. And, and I, if it were me, and I was there a thousand miles from home, I, I, I may have done what I've done at other times in my life. And I might have rationalized, and I might have said, you know, God's going to understand. He knows where my heart is. I'm not, if I go ahead and eat this food and wine, it's, it's going to be okay. I mean, everyone's doing it. It's not going to really hurt anyone. I mean, i got to eat something, but you got to love Daniel. Daniel said, no. No, I, I, I'm going to take a stand right here. I'm going to stand out. And here was the key. Before the food was ever presented to him, he knew it was going to happen. He predetermined, he predecided the line he was not going to cross. That is the most important thing you need to hear this morning. If you're going to stand out for God, if you're going to honor God and keep your testimony in all situations, you have to predetermine, you have to predecide what hills will you die on and what ones will you not die on. What lines will you cross and what lines will you not cross. You have to predecide, you have to predetermine. And Daniel said, listen, before you even set that food down, because I know it's going to look really good if it's from the king's table, I'm not crossing that line. 
And I don't know how that might play out in your life. This is gonna, I don't know how this is going to speak to you, but I believe this will speak to someone in a very practical way today. And, and let me tell you how it speaks to my life. When Shelly and I, my wife, when we first started dating. Now, before I met Shelly, uh, there was about six years in my life that I was running from God. I wasn't in church, and, and I was living the ways of the world, and, and I was very promiscuous. And, and uh, unfortunately, I did not keep myself sexually pure. But then when I met Shelly and I was back right with God, I was walking with God and God had called me into ministry, I made a decision. You know, I can't change the past, but I can change today and tomorrow. And, and I'm not going to, to be sexually active with someone again until they are my spouse, they are my wife. And that was a decision that I made and that was a decision Shelly had always made, we met. So we didn't, we drew a line in the sand in that way. We said we're gonna wait till the covenant of marriage to honor God in, in that way. But we didn't wait till we were like in the back seat of a car, you know, you know. oh wait, wait a minute. Should we do this or not? Should we go any further or not? Oh, Jesus, take the wheel. I mean, I don't, what do we do? No, 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 no. We pre-decided and predetermined. That's a line we're not going to cross. We're going to honor God in that way. And we did honor God in that way. And, and, and we look back and we, we would, wouldn't have had it any other way. And, and so I don't know what it is in your life. You know, maybe before you became a Christ follower, you, you know, you'd go to every party out there and you would just get blasted. I once did that in college. And you got drunk, and so you, now you're like, you know, hey, I'm going to go to the party, but I'm not going to get drunk. Maybe for some of you, if alcohol is a real problem, you don't even go to the party. Or there's some parties you can go to and other parties you can't go to. You, you've got to decide. I'm not the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit of God in you, but you may have to predetermine and predecide. This, this is the line I'm not going to cross. You know, at work, when they're telling the dirty jokes and, and uh, about the opposite sex, or they're talking, people are talking bad about other people, they're gossiping, or they're talking bad about their spouse, you say, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be a part of that. I'm, just, I'm not going to make a scene. I'm not going to be like, ooh, you know, you guys are so wrong, but I'm going to walk away. I'm going to draw a line. Maybe you predetermine. I'm not going to get in debt like everyone else. I'm not going to let materialism rule my life. I'm going to put God first. I'm going to live on a budget. And it's not just about the things that you're not going to do, but the things you're going to predetermine that you are going to do to stand out. I, I, what I, one of the things I hate that a lot of people think about Christianity is they think it's just a bunch of rules of don'ts. All the things we can't do. You know there's a lot of things we should do as Christians to stand out and to be right with God in our walk. So predetermine, draw the line in the sand. You know, every day I'm going to spend time with God. I'm going I'm to put him first. I'm going to read his word. I'm going to pray. I'm going to walk with him. Predetermined. You know, church is going to be a priority in my life and my family's life. It's not going to be, well, if nothing else is going on, then we're, we're there. No, we make it a priority. And I know it's summer. And I know I'm probably talking to the wrong people, but listen, as you have vacations, go on vacation. You can ch catch church you know, online, watch the message, but don't just take a vacation from church all summer. Predetermined. Hey, listen, God is just as active in the summer as he is the rest of the times of the year. And so predetermined, you know, that, that's going to be a priority in our, in our life. Predetermined, we're going to be connected in small groups. We're going to be connecting with other believers. We're going to continue to serve God because he never stops serving us. You've you got to predetermine ahead of time what you're going to do and not going to do. And it's between you and God and the Holy Spirit. Are you with me, church? That's what I love about this story, how Daniel stood out. He, he drew the line in the sand. He predetermined. Let me, let me give you the example of this way. Okay, and I want you to be honest, and I'm going to raise my hand with you. How many of you have ever been to Las Vegas, Nevada? Would you raise your hand? Oh, I'm not the only one. All right. 
Okay, let me tell you something about Las Vegas. If you've never been to Las Vegas, I've been many times. Uh, I've been there for conferences. I've been there on vacation. Um, we have a church plant that we support as a church in Las Vegas. They're doing really well. I've gone there a couple of times to encourage and, and help them. But if you're going to go to Las Vegas, you know, Sin City, you know, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, except that God's there too, Right? And he sees too, just a little reminder there. Here's what I've learned, and Shelly and I love to go to Las Vegas, um, even if it's just a vacation, we love to, there's lots of great places to eat, there's great shopping, um, we love you know, to go to the shows, we've been to most of the Cirque du Soleil shows, the magic shows, we saw Celine Dion there, um, I probably should tell you this, but I saw the Tribute to Prince show there, because I like Prince, but that's another story, and uh, so we, we go there, but we predetermine there's some lines we're not going to cross before we go to Las Vegas. Let me just tell you this. If you've never been to Las Vegas, let me help you out. Predetermine that you're not going to take the little cards that they're passing out to you on the street. Just predetermine you're going to say no and walk by. Those are not baseball cards. Okay, I'll just leave it, leave it at that. Predetermine what shows you will go to and you think would be acceptable and those that you won't go to. I mean, Shelly and I predetermined we're not going to go see Zumanity in Las Vegas. Uh, we pre I've predetermined Shelly is not going to go see Thunder from Down Under. Bunch of naked guys, you know, doing their thing. I mean, why does she need to do that when she has this? I don't, I'm like, I'll give you a private thunder from down under show Shelly you don't need to go to that all right okay I, maybe I've crossed the line there I don't know <laughs> you know and let me and let me say this you know if if you have a gambling problem I mean if that's like a vice in your life probably ought to predetermine not to go to Las Vegas if that's not a vice, then you'll probably be okay. I, I'm not the Holy Spirit. You've got to decide. You know, one of our values, really our number one value here at Orchard Church is this value. What does the Bible say? And, and, and what I've decided in my life, if the Bible clearly says that it's a sin, then that's the line, right? Now, if, if, if it doesn't say that it's not a sin, well, that's a gray area, and we call it gray area sometimes, and so I have a Holy Spirit, you have a Holy Spirit, we've got to work that out with God, and it may different, be different for you than it is for me, but the key is if you're going to stand out, if we're going to stand out and successfully honor God and be blessed by God, we've got to predetermine before the temptation presents itself. That's what Daniel did. And, and again, standing out doesn't mean, okay, we're some you know, weird Jesus freak, weirdo, um, that we're mean or that we're disrespectful and judgmental and condemning of other people. Unfortunately, there's too many Christians, that's what they do. You know, the Bible says that Jesus was full of grace and truth. Somebody asked me recently, what, what is one of the key things why you believe God has blessed Orchard Church? And I think you know, one of the reasons is because I believe that we try to have the balance Jesus ha had, a perfect balance between grace and truth. Some churches and some people, they're all grace, no truth. And then there's other churches, it's all truth, but there's no grace. Are you with me? And so you have to have a balance of those two. And so watch how Daniel stands up to this daring test, and he passed this test, but he does it with a balance of grace and truth, and, and he does it in a respectable way. Some, some Christians need to heed this. Verse 9 says this, Now God had given the chief of staff both respect and affection for Daniel. He liked Daniel. He respected him. But he responded, I am afraid of my Lord, the king, who has ordered that you eat this food and wine. If you become pale and thin compared to the other youths your age, I'm afraid the king will have me beheaded. If you don't eat this food and wine, I mean, I could get killed. 
But I really like you, Daniel. Daniel was respected. He wasn't a weirdo. Daniel spoke with the attendant who had been appointed by the chief of staff to look after Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And he said this, verse 12, please what? Test us. Please test us for 10 days on a diet of vegetables and water. Okay, that's where I would have been out right there. I'm like, just go ahead and kill me now. You know, just go ahead and take my head off. If I got to eat vegetables and water for, for 10 days. Some of you are you're like, yeah, vegetarian. All right, we're cool. But not me. And so he's like, test us with vegetables and water, Daniel said. At the end of 10 days, see how we look compared to the other young men who are eating the king's food. Then make your decision in light of what you see. The attendant agreed to Daniel's suggestion and tested them for 10 days. At the end of 10 days, Daniel and his three friends looked healthier and better nourished than the young men. In other words, a lot of the other Hebrew young men were eating the king's food. They just blended in. The, the young men who had been eating the food assigned by the king. So after that, the attendant fed them only vegetables instead of the food and wine provided for the others. So day after day, meal after meal, breakfast after breakfast, lunch after lunch, dinner after dinner, what did Daniel's friends do? They stood out. It wasn't a one-time thing. It was a daily, three times a day. They stood out, but they didn't make a scene. They didn't make a big show of it. They just stood out in their convictions of what God had put in their heart. Get it this way in your notes. This is so true. We can hold to our convictions without being contrary. We can hold to our convictions without being contrary. Amen? They didn't hold some public protest, you know, and, and throw a fit. They didn't get signs and picket. Don't eat the king's food. Don't eat the... No, this was just something personal. And Daniel showed incredible wisdom. He honors the authority that is over him, but he just offers a different plan. He offers a different plan. You see, we can stand for the right things in the wrong way and make things even worse. We could stand for the right things in the wrong way if we're not careful and make things even worse. And we know some Christians like that. Oh, yeah, they stand for the right things, but they're kind of a jerk about it. They're judgmental. They're condemning. They shame people. How many of you know someone like that? Raise your hand, okay? All right, don't point at them. Just pray for them, all right? Just, just pray for them. But we know people like that. I, I sometimes refer to these Christians as the Facebook police, you know, you put anything on Facebook that's the least bit controversial or gray, and they're, oh, you know, Jesus said, thus saith the Lord, blah, 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 and they're just like trying to straighten you out. That's not what Daniel did. You know, some people, unfortunately, have the spiritual gift of being annoying, <laughs> right? We're not talking about standing out and being annoying. There's a balance of grace and truth. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago, that the world should know us by our love, but he did stand for the right thing, and he did it in the right way and for the right reasons. And wisdom is standing in, in that way. We, we have to ask ourselves, is this as a Christian? Now, again, if the Bible clearly says something is wrong and is a sin, that's clear, and that's our line. We're, we're kind of talking more about these gray areas that some Christians would say, well, that's wrong, and some would say, no, it's not wrong, not, that's not biblical. It, we, we have to ask ourselves, like Daniel what hills are we going to die on? What lines are we going to predetermine? We have to ask ourselves, this is what I ask myself in the gray areas of my Christian life. Is this a preference or is this a biblical conviction? Because too many times, and I've done it, there, in my past, things that I called a biblical conviction, I realized as I studied the scriptures, that's just a preference. That's, that's not a conviction. 
Let me give you a quick story. I've shared this story privately many times, but I've never shared it publicly, and, and it makes a point about what we're talking about here. Where do you draw a line in the sand? Um, when we first moved into our house in our neighborhood 11 years ago, a couple of years after that, there was a young couple that moved in across from us, and we immediately we helped them move in. We made friends with them. We tried to be good neighbors and to help people find and follow Jesus and connect with them. And so, uh, man, we just fell in love with this couple, and, and we spent a lot of time with them, and they had moved away from their family. We kind of became like family to them, and, and she had accepted Christ when she was a teenager but wasn't walking with the Lord. They weren't going to church. He was not a believer. As a matter of fact, um, he would kind of consider himself either an atheist or an agnostic. He's like, I don't really know where I stand. He did not grow up in a Christian home. Well, later in life, his parents um, supposedly accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior, and they kind of went from one extreme to the other. They went from like total party crowd, all this, to like, we don't do this, we don't do that. And it was all the things they don't do. And he looked and he saw that. And he's like, well, if that's what Christianity is, you know, I can't do anything anymore that I don't know that I want to have any part in it. And as I began to engage in a relationship with him and talking to him, uh, I, I understood where he was at and I was trying to, to introduce him to Christ. And every time I would go over to their house, we'd go over and we'd hang out and we'd play cards and games and stuff like that. He would offer me an adult beverage every time. And I remember the first time I said, oh, thanks, but you know, um, you know I, I, don't, I don't drink. And he's like, oh, is, is that one of those things that's wrong? And I said, no, you know, I don't, I don't believe that it's a sin um, to have one drink. You know, the Bible doesn't condemn, you know, any drinking. It does condemn drunkenness. That's a sin. Amen, church? But, but, I, I, but I just have personally kind of decided to, to take a stand there, you know, as a pastor. I, 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 and he's like, oh, okay. And I could tell the first time it happened, it was like this wall went up immediately. And it was like, oh, there it is right there. You're just like all the other Christians, all the things you can't do. And, and this happened a few times. And, and I remember I, I really wanted to reach this guy for Christ. And every time that would happen, it would be like he would shut down on the conversation. And there would be a wall that would go up. And it was just this weird deal. And I began to pray about it. I began to search the scriptures. And what I realized and what I found was not only does the Bible not condemn all drinking, but it actually at times encourages it. Let's not forget it was Jesus, his first miracle in Cana of Galilee, when they ran out of wine, he turned the water into wine and kept the party going. Now that, that was Jesus, y'all. So one day, and some of you are like, oh, that makes me uncomfortable. Some of you are like, yeah. Okay, you got to figure out where you land on that. So anyway, I, I was studying this out, and then finally one day, I, I, this is me, okay? This is just what happened in my life. I felt like I was being more of a hindrance to the gospel in introducing this guy to Christ by saying no, then I would be to just say, okay, I'll, I'll have one. And so one night we went over there and I said, he's like, yeah, I know you won't have one. And I'm like, yeah, I will have one tonight. He's like, oh, what? Now, I had one. I didn't polish off a 12-pack with him, okay? Now, and I know what some of y'all are thinking. Now, Pastor Doug, you know, uh, beer is like an acquired taste. Okay, I went to college. I had acquired it. I just had walked away for many years from it. And so... I know as crazy as this sounds, that was the day and that was the evening and the moment he began to open up and, and talk more about God and about Jesus, and he ended up accepting Christ. And, and, and it was a turning point. It was a turning point in our, our relationship. Okay, now the moral of that story is not, okay, go out there and have a drink with your lost friends. No, I'm just telling you, I had to predetermine, okay, what's the line? I'm, I'm not going to cross the get drunk line, but, you know, biblically, I can cross this to bring someone to Christ. You know, we say it this way here at Orchard Church all the time, that we'll do anything short of sin to lead people to Jesus. And I realized I was dying on a hill I didn't need to, to die on. And so I predetermined, I'm going to stand for the right thing in the right way for the right reason. 
And when that happened, he, he found Christ. Daniel stood out. He stood out during difficult trials. He stood out during a daring test. And then I want to give you the third thing as we wrap this up this morning. Uh, Daniel stood out, and we can stand out, while experiencing divine triumphs. Because Daniel stood for God in the present, God stood with him in the future. Watch what happens in, in verse 17. Because God had to intervene in order to help Daniel get past this test. It says, God gave these four young men an unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom. Who did that? God did that. God blessed them. He caused them to stand out. And God, there it is again, gave Daniel the special ability to interpret the meaning of visions and dreams. When the training period ordered by the king was completed, the chief of staff brought all the young men to King Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and let's say it together, and no one impressed him as much as Daniel. As Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, so they entered the royal service. God blessed them with this incredible knowledge and understanding, how to interpret vision and dreams. And next week in the story, you're going to see that's a really big deal. It's historic. We're going to watch as the king is going to get a dream and nobody can interpret it, but Daniel interprets it. And then Daniel has to stand up to the king and tell him what the dream means. You don't want to miss that next week. But I want you to think about this as we wrap it up. Daniel could have stubbornly said, I'm going to not eat this food and wine and made a big stink and a big deal and a big display. And he probably would have been executed and beheaded and we would know nothing about Daniel. Or he could have just blended in like everybody else and ate the food and then nothing God-sized would have happened. But Daniel stood out for the right things, in the right way, for the right reason. And I believe this with all my heart, and I believe some of you believe this, Orchard Church. I'd rather be remembered for standing out than forgotten for blending in. Anybody else feel that way? I'd rather be remembered for standing out than forgotten for blending in. Daniel was not forgotten because he stood out. The enemy's goal is to get us just to blend in with everyone else, just go with the flow, and we miss out on God's best instead of standing out in the right way for the right things at the right reason, with wisdom. Paul said it this way in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. And so, dear brothers and sisters, that's believers, if you're a follower of Jesus, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. And why do we want to stand out for God? Because Jesus stood out and stood up for us. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you and I will be able to stand firm against the strategies of the devil. And then after the battle, we will be standing firm. Standing firm. Father, would you help us to apply this message today to all of our lives? Help us, Lord, to stand out for the right things and the right way, the right time, and the right reasons for your honor and your glory and our good. As we continue in an attitude of prayer with heads bowed and eyes closed, how many of you would be here as a believer in Jesus Christ? You've said yes to Jesus and you'd say, you know, I, I want to have the wisdom that Daniel had to stand out for the right things in the right way for God's glory and honor to be in a place of blessing. I, I know there's some things I need to predetermine in my life there's some lines that I'm not going to cross. I don't want to just blend in. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do, church, because we're talking about taking a stand and standing out. I think it's only appropriate today, rather than just to have you raise your hand for prayer, if that's your heart's desire, with heads bowed and eyes closed, I'm going to ask you to stand. 
If, if that's you, if God has put on your heart, I know I need to take more of a stand for him, for the right things at the right time. There's some lines I need to predetermine not to cross. Listen, if you can't stand for God here at church among God's people, you will not be able to stand out there in the real world. So I'm just going to ask you, if God, and many of you are standing right now, God bless you, God bless you, people standing all over the place. If God has put that on your heart, I want to take a stand for my God. Let me pray over all of you. Father, I just pray for all of us, including myself. Lord, there are times I know in my life that I blended in when I should have stood out. I've compromised when I shouldn't have. Lord, we all have. I pray that you, through the power of your Holy Spirit that you placed in us when we said yes to your son, Jesus, that you would guide us, that you would direct us when your word is clear, that we would follow your word on what we should do or shouldn't do. But in those gray areas of life that are different for everyone based upon our experience and, and, and our temptations, help us to predetermine, help us to predecide the lines we will or will not cross. Help us to predecide the hills we will or won't die on. Help us, Lord, to stand out for the right things in the right way and for the right reasons, for your honor and glory and for our good and for your purposes and plan for our life. You may be seated, all of you around, you may be seated, but continue with a, in an attitude of prayer, with an attitude of prayer right now. There may be someone here today and this is gonna speak to you. You've never said yes to Jesus. You know, this message was primarily for those who are believers in Jesus Christ. If you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, the honest truth, I love you enough to tell you this, this is the balance of grace and truth, is that Satan is not after you right now. He already has you. He has you right where he wants you, separated from God because of your sins. He wants you to die that way so that you're separated from God for all eternity. But there's a better way. There's a better answer. The gospel means good news. The good news is this, that Jesus stood in your place 2,000 years ago. He died on the cross to pay for your sins and for my sins. He was buried, he rose again to conquer death, hell, and the grave. And if you will say yes to him, if you'll put your faith and trust in him, you can invite him into your life as Lord and Savior. You can have your sins forgiven. You can begin a relationship with him today. It's not religion we offer, it's a relationship with Jesus. And you can stand with the one who stood out for you. And he'll stand with you and he'll walk with you all the days of your life and for all eternity. And you'll understand his good and perfect plan and purpose and will for your life. And some of you, God has brought you here today, and it's time for you to say yes to Jesus. And I'm going to pray a prayer out loud, a prayer of faith in just a moment. I'm going to invite you to pray this prayer right now from your heart to God's to invite him into your life. It's not a magic prayer or magic words that we're saying together, but it's a way to express what's in our heart. So if that's you today, if you're ready to say yes to Jesus, to stand with the one that stood for you, would you pray this prayer with me? It goes like this. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you died for me. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Come into my life as I say yes to you today. Thank you, Jesus, for loving me and dying for me. Thank you. Thank you. So we continue with heads bowed and eyes closed. No one looking around for just a moment. Again, I don't normally do this. I normally just ask those that prayed that prayer to raise their hand, but I'm going to ask you to take a stand today. The Bible says this. God says, if you confess me before Men, then I will confess you before my Father that is in heaven. And so if you just prayed that prayer of faith with heads bowed and eyes closed, I'm just going to ask you to stand up right now, and I want to pray for you. I want to pray that you would grow in your walk and relationship with Jesus from this day forward. God bless you right here, three people right here on the front row. Amen. God bless you back here, one, two ladies back there. Standing up for Jesus, God bless you. Anyone else, if you prayed that prayer and you said yes to Jesus, stand. 
God bless you. Let me pray for you. God, I just pray for all those today that have said yes to you, all those that will, that they would grow in the grace and knowledge of you, that they would grow in their walk with you, that they would stand with you as you stand with them. We celebrate and praise you for their decision today. We pray all this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen, amen. Hey, let's celebrate those that have said yes to Jesus. God bless you. You can be seated. Amen. God bless you. Hey, if you just stood up, you've said yes to Jesus today, that is the most important decision you could ever make. Uh, we put together a little booklet just for you. It helps you understand the decision you've made, your next steps in your walk with Christ and standing with Him. So before you leave today, be sure to go by uh, the I Said Yes booth right out there in the lobby and we put this in your hands. Let's celebrate one more time all those saying yes to Jesus today. God bless you guys. This is a great start to our new series. I hope you guys come back next week as we talk about what it means to stand out. We're going to give you some practical tips on how to stand up for your faith, to stand up for what you believe in. And let me tell you, there's no better way to do that than in the context of community and relationship with others who are taking a stand as well. And so if this is your first time with us, man, we hope you just found a community here that you can stand with. And so if this is your first time and the ushers come by and pass that bucket, we would just love for you to drop that connection card in the box and then we can follow up with you, help you get connected here so that we can stand with you in the future. I'm gonna invite you guys all to stand up right now. I know it sounds pretty cheesy. We keep saying the word stand over and over again. Just one more time, stand up with me. And if, uh, if you're gonna give now, this is your time to do that. We're gonna serve, we're gonna worship and act out our, our wage because we give first, save second, live on the rest. If you just prayed that prayer, please go out to the Yes booth now, receive that booklet. We're so glad you guys are here with us.